Hi, this is Mark. Before we start the last episode of Season 1, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this season of Patron Driven, or if you've learned something, why not take a minute to rate or review the show on your podcast platform of choice? That really helps other people find the show. And if you know someone who might like the series, why not mention it to them? Word of mouth is still the best way to pass along a recommendation. All right, enough out of me. Here's the show. Yeah, it was Jennifer and me. They limited it for safety purposes, and they only had like a certain number of hard hats that they could share with us. And so we walked the space, kind of dodging all the the raw material that was still all over the place. And I remember it being just, it was no longer a hollow space. They had already put in the raised flooring. And that was just really exciting. We were going to have power. In January 2019, construction on the library building began. And, of course, recorded updates of the construction process. January 22nd, 2019. Went on walkthrough of library construction with Kaylee V, David Beatty, and Charlotte I. We wore hard hats and safety vests. The skeletal building's only remnants of the pre-Harvey space were the brick pillars and a lone surviving wall clock. Harsh LED work lights lit up mounds of dirt and yellow caution tape as construction workers dug into the ground for the raised floor. Dozens of clumped blue wires hung from the ceiling like cartoonish veins in a biology textbook. February 8, 2019. The construction is coming along nicely, and the offices now have walls. The break room and computer labs can also be seen. The drywall went up. Huge stacks sat in the middle of the space flanked by blue genie lifts, open orange ladders, and puffy clouds of pink insulation. March 25th, 2019. Getting closer to the library being finished. Square metal stilts line the ceiling as prep to hide the shiny, worm-like ductwork. Construction workers installed thin wooden frames for doors and windows. April 30th, 2019. Walk through of library to see the color of paint on walls, teal and yellow. Construction workers fitted glass into the computer lab and workroom windows. Long, thin lights were installed from the ceiling. May 23, 2019. New furniture and computers are being installed in the new learning commons. Cardboard boxes of technology and furniture arrived. Chairs and desks huddled in groups still covered in clear or bright blue plastic bags. The air hung with excited chatter, the slice of packages being opened, and that heavy, pleasant new smell. June 17th, 2019. First day back in library. Cirque's at service desk, and we are open to students. This is Patron Driven, crowdsourced library stories where the personal and professional meet. I'm Bill Mickey. And I'm Mark Dirks. We work for Choice, a publishing unit of the Association of College and Research Libraries, a division of the American Library Association. This season, we investigated how the Lone Star College Kingwood Library recovered from extensive flood damage brought on by Hurricane Harvey. This is our final episode, Learning Commons. 
If you haven't listened to episodes one through four, we highly recommend going back and listening to those first. The ending is much more satisfying when you know the full story. Part one, the learning comments. On June 19th, 2019, Anne arrived on the Kingwood campus almost two years after Harvey hit, excited. This is what Anne recorded in her calendar on that day. Quote, sent email to the other LSC campuses that we are open. The other campuses began sending bins of requested items to fill our patrons' holds. Circulation was back in business. I knew we were officially open when I could send the email out to all the other libraries. Send the bins, we're open. They had been holding on to these bins for us because our students were wanting to make requests and have it sent to our location. And of course, they back they had a backlog <laughs> of requests. So suddenly within that first week, we were filling all these requests, <laughs> uh, not from our own items, but from other people's items coming to us for our students and faculty. The library staff moved into the new space in mid-May 2019. They needed time to comfortably settle in, and the final touches of construction still had to get done before the official open in June. On move-in day, all staff had been given collapsible carts and a foldable dolly. They packed these to the brims with supplies they had carted around for almost two years. No more TV tray desks, no more mobile offices. But the move wasn't exactly turnkey. Our furniture vendors were setting up the furniture. Our Office of Technology team was setting up all the computers in the space still. Um, and so it was still very much a, a working space that wasn't publicly open. So it wasn't like we walked in, like, I don't know, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like we walked in and it was like, oh, it wasn't like that. Um, things were being put together. Um, Construction was still kind of going on. The, ar- the architects were there. So it was kind of a gradual work in progress that actually is still going on today. Though maybe a soft open isn't as dramatic as walking into the space completely finished. It's the truth. And getting to watch it come together with their own eyes, the new technology, furniture, everything they had handpicked must have been incredibly satisfying. The building wasn't the only thing getting an upgrade. Administration had wanted to unite library and tutoring services for a while. In their eyes, this remodel was the perfect time for a rebranding of the library. They always had a vision of kind of becoming what was called the Learning Commons, which Hmm. was a one-stop shop for library services and tutoring. So it um, it was determined at that point that we would become, we officially now became the sixth division on our campus. So we are now called institutional, um, institutional, instructional support, sorry, instructional support. (laughs) It's still new, Um, where we are professional development, um, tutoring, and library services. Transforming into the learning commons meant giving staff more of a voice. This remodel wasn't just physical, it was institutional too. When Anne opened up the learning commons on that June day, I'm sure the excitement of the new space hadn't worn off yet. At 6.30 a.m., Harvey hadn't affected Anne's knack for early rising. The sun had just come up. 
Sunlight washed over the completely remodeled space. The dark brick pillars were now painted a fresh white. The walls shined a bright yellow. Lime green chairs and pops of teal dotted the open area. Contemporary couches and cafe-esque high-rise stools replaced rickety chairs. All the wooden features, now a limited number, were a lighter wood. Anne made her rounds, turning on lights in the computer lab, now equipped with dozens of shiny desktops. The lab had a movable wall, meaning half of it could be converted into a classroom while still leaving plenty of computers open for patrons. She tapped the Evoco digital scheduler outside of the tutoring rooms. No more interrupting study sessions to ask when the room would be free. Just check the screen outside the door to see that day's schedule. Anne peeked her head into the rooms, each equipped with wall-sized whiteboards and a TV monitor to project lesson plans, videos, and other helpful, modern learning tools. The automatic lights flickered on. In the main study space, Anne approached the laptop kiosk. Three rows of six laptops sat in inch-wide slots on the right side of the gray machine. On the left, a card scanner and a screen that read Laptop Checkout Kiosk were positioned above another two rows of six laptops. Anne tested it out by selecting the checkout option and scanning her ID. The machine unlocked a computer. It popped out of its slot with a satisfying plunk. Next to the kiosk, Anne tapped one of their two Book I-4 book scanners. It hummed to life. The large, bright green scan button appeared in all caps on the screen. Anne wasn't as tech-savvy as the rest of the crew, but she had made the effort to understand the basics of the new machines. In the short time since the scanner had been set up, Allison was already a natural, showing others how to scan pages quickly. It was taking longer for the rest of circulation and reference to adjust. They were reluctant to learn the new technology and found it challenging to use. They missed the physical books. As Anne headed to the workroom, I imagine she rejoiced in the new carpet. It would be downright negligent not to mention the clean gray stripes underfoot, wonderfully stain-free. Gone was that never replaced since the 80s brown. In the workroom, glass windows sat three feet above the ground to allow her and other staffers to see out to the service desk. For now, she adjusted the blinds over the window closed. She'd open them once students filed in to see if anyone needed help. Another library staffer, Amanda's desk, was on the far side of the room, and Allison sat right in the middle. Anne's was closest to the door, her request, and behind a brick column, giving her the most privacy. It was the way she liked it. A couple of weeks after moving in, she and Allison had stacked what reserve books they had onto the workroom shelves, but it still looked bare. Soon, once she alerted the rest of the Lone Star campuses, the room would be brimming with bins of requested items. Anne turned on her computer and opened her email. The Learning Commons was back in business. Part 2. Redefining Services Let's fast forward to July 2019. The Learning Commons had been open to the public for about a month. Even though they were in a summer semester usually a quiet time on campus, the Learning Commons buzzed with students and faculty. Everyone wanted to check out the brand new space. Without promoting the space at all, we just had more summer students in the space than we've ever had before. Mm -hmm. um, 
That's great. So I would think that we, like in two weeks, we had more students yeah. in the space than we had like in a normal, typical entire summer. Right. I wow. mean, it was just that dramatic. It was, it was, a, yeah, it was a lot. And the feedback was immediately, yeah. uh, the students loved it. Yeah. They walked in and were like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> there were so many future students that would come in or, or delivery yeah. people because we were having new furniture or whatever being put together and it was just different. Different people would say, now, this is a space that would make me want to go to school. This is a yeah. space that makes me want to go to Lone Star. I mean, that to me is amazing. It makes me want to yeah. study. So the space is hopping, thanks in large part to the mobile, comfortable furniture for students. Given the lack of student traffic pre-Harvey, seating was vital to the Learning Commons success. The pre-Harvey library felt heavy, outdated. The tall bookshelves, long tables, and wooden chairs didn't allow for much mobility. This prevented the spaces from serving other purposes. It discouraged group work. It didn't feel like what many librarians are now championing, a 21st century library. We tried out so many different chairs and yeah, yeah and all the different ways because again, we weren't gonna get study rooms back into the library since we're gonna have tutoring. So we had to be more creative with the furniture in order to create spaces, more interactive spaces. The new space lacked walls to separate silent study from talking areas, but with soundproofing furniture, that wasn't a problem. Students flocked to the restaurant-style lime green booths. The backs of the cushions had gray screens that extended a foot up, dulling the noise around them. On a typical day, students would place open laptops and iced coffee cups on the table between them while talking or quietly working. For group projects, Students gathered in sectional-style couches with soundproof screens extending up over them. The couches surrounded a large table and monitor. A rolling whiteboard was close by with expo markers and erasers. Imagine the perfect setup for Pictionary, but educational. For solo study, students chose the pods. They're sort of like escape pods from science fiction movies. A reclining chair enclosed on three sides with noise-canceling foam, a wooden shelf on the left for stashing books, and a swinging control tray to hold your laptop. There's a mini desk light and storage beneath. No distractions, better study session. To accommodate their mobile furniture, they had mobile electricity too. Remember the makeshift power poles that hung down from the ceiling? Electricity now ran through a raised tile floor. Outlets were everywhere, built into the ground, the pillars, the tables, the chairs. You couldn't go three feet without finding power. And it also makes it functional, too. That way, if we decide to rearrange the space or, you know, move furniture here and there, we could just take out the, car the raised floor tiles, right, and then move data and electricity where we need to. I mean, it's not as easy as just picking it up and taking it, but it's more accessible than drilling, you know, drilling um into the concrete is what we were having to do before. Well, that was the option mm -hmm. of moving things before. Another pillar of the Learning Commons success was the combination of circulation and reference. The United Horseshoe-shaped desk was loaded with storage, monitors, and seating, meeting all the staff needs. This combination of reference and circulation cut down confusion for students. Pre-Harvey, when services were separate, patrons didn't understand the difference between the two. Uncertainty led to bouncing back and forth and not receiving the help they needed. The first people they'll see is the circulation people. So they're the meet and greeters. They'll immediately come and ask circulation first, and 
just hearing the first couple of questions, we, we know where to direct them. And it made for a much smoother transition because it was nice to have tutoring in between us. We had a, a person at the tutoring desk and the reference librarians were a little bit further, but rightfully so, they need to be closer to uh, more computers. Uh, whereas circulation side is checking in and out the books and doing the IDs, that we were at the front of the, very front of the library. For a long time, the librarians were carrying a lot of the weight of both the reference and all this new technology coming into the space. And um, I think it was a great idea to kind of be able to diversify within our own team how many people can answer the same question. Um, and it makes us a, a more functional service desk, I think. But in July, the space was still missing a key ingredient, books. The staff had planned on decreasing the number of print materials from 40,000 to 6,000, a cleaving process they took very seriously. To supplement the loss of so many physical items, they invested in digital reference content, the Oxford English Dictionary, Grove New Music, and Swank Digital Campus, a streaming service for feature films, all of which catered to Kingwood faculty and student needs. There was definitely a lot of grief after losing so many books. And because we probably had somewhere around eight months, six to eight months to build a collection, it was an overwhelming task. But because we had already been through this remote process for so long already, we knew that getting more digital material made the most sense. We didn't expect to be as digital as we are, but now that we ha have been, it's felt like the smartest move we could have made. And seeing how the traffic is in our space, we've even contemplated getting rid of all our stacks and moving completely digitally so that our students have more of the diverse study spaces that they like to use. On Tuesday, July 16th, 2019, after months of planning, the books arrived. Hope Lejeune, a librarian, organized the shelving party, as they affectionately called it, with a library service provider, Gobi. Maps were drawn for the deliverers. Shelves were roped off. Lunch was planned. Tacos. These ladies really love their Tex-Mex cuisine. The building was open to the public, so VIP red ropes donated by the theater department blocked off the shiny gray shelves. Brightly colored post-it notes, hot pink and teal, stuck to each rack as direction for where the incoming books would go. It was all hands on deck. The part-time librarians, Mika, Anne, Allison, library dean Kaylee Vonderfor, and a couple of the circulation staff all showed up early for kolaches and coffee. The air bristled with expectant energy and excitement. They were required to wear closed-toed shoes for safety, and they got to wear jeans for comfort. They had a dolly with maybe three or four boxes. They bring them in. Every box had um, a call number range, and so they put the box right next to the stack that had that call number range. The plan was to open up the boxes, check off the list, and put the books on the shelf. Pretty simple. 
but it took more effort than anticipated. Boxes stacked five high crowded the area. Off-white, crumpled packing paper lined the floor like plowed snow or a postal service murder scene. Staff sliced open cardboard, breathing in that new book smell of paper and ink. The scent must have lingered for days. For the librarians who were working in a space without books for almost two years, it must have been heaven. People from facilities rushed in and out, steadily whisking away stack after stack of cardboard and packing supplies. Eventually, overrun with a pressing pile of unopened boxes, Hope encouraged staff to just get the books on the shelf, organization be damned. It ended up taking a day and a half to get all the books unloaded. Anne said that part of the delay was because they were so excited about the new books. They kept stopping and reading them. But I remember as I'm opening up these boxes, just the joy of, oh yeah, I picked, you know, so many of these books. How cool is this that a lot of this collection is personally selected? Um, and just being so proud of what our librarians and even Allison helped select some, some books for the collection. Cataloging and technical services spent the next few weeks going through each book and checking to make sure it corresponded with the right call number. Finally, the staff had their own books in-house again. But even though this was perhaps a transition back to normal, the psychology of the staff was forever altered, especially as they moved into the fall semester. Well, and that caused a lot of psychological trauma on the circulation team because as they saw the books dwindling down to only 6,000, needless to say, they were in a bit of a panic. Well, what are we circulating? What are we going to do? What's happening to our jobs? And it was, it was very difficult to explain to them that their job functions were going to change. Because of the push toward new technology, the circulation team's responsibility shifted. Technology took precedence over print, Demand for student help with printing, scanning, and more was so high, the library dean hired four specialist threes. Trained specifically to help students with tech questions, they also served as backup for circulation and tutoring. Before we hired those uh, specialist threes, is what we are spec threes, that's what we call them, uh, the circulation, the part-time circulation employees were doing their job as far as um, being at the desk to greet patrons, to check out items, to make IDs. And they were having to go out and help the students with these computer questions. In the fall, we are extremely busy. And um, it was a little overwhelming uh, for our circulation crew this past fall to do all of that. Even though Anne and Allison embraced this change, not all staff were on board. It was a shift they weren't prepared for and that some didn't particularly want. But you have to understand they were chained to the CERC desk for so long that the idea of going behind the CERC, going away from the CERC desk, out into the stacks, out into the computer areas to help students, it was rather foreign to them. So this was all a new learning uh, experience for them. They were having to reinvent what circulation actually meant now. In fact, um, we have only three circulation assistants left, uh, the ones that just didn't get on board with this new idea of 
uh, where the libraries are heading technology-wise and online books. And I mean, this is the way of the future. And some of them just did not want to go that way. And it was their choice to decide, you know, I, I've had enough, had a good run, I'm ready to leave. And unfortunately, for, you know, because I would have loved to have kept them, but they just couldn't get into the mindset that we needed. And it wasn't just CERC. I mean, we did have the same problems with uh, uh, some of the part-time reference librarians where they were thinking, old oh, library, but we are now a, not even a library. We're now a learning commons area. It was trying to create this new mindset. And unfortunately, it was adapt and survive or goodbye. This onslaught of new technology, the laptop kiosk, new printers, book scanner, one-button studio, meant that someone needed to know how to use all of these machines. That's where Mika comes in. In December of 2017, a few months after Harvey, Kingwood's technology librarian retired. Mika stepped up to the plate. While Hope handled much of the collection development, Mika took it upon herself to learn the answers for the many tech questions that developed. I've spent the first four months, I guess, five months that we moved back into our space, just running around trying to troubleshoot any technology issue we had. Um, I became the go-to, so we had like a central hub um, for submitting tickets to our technology team which made it easier for us to manage and follow up with any problems. Um, but it meant a larger workload on me. We had our one button studio that wasn't set up yet. And so I was trying to manage that, find out when it would be available for everybody. Um, and then learning how to use it myself and training other people on all the new technology. Jennifer's day to day changed too. The success of the learning commons, the increase in student traffic, meant Jennifer now worked closely with facilities. More students meant more mess. And as Anne pointed out, students these days eat a lot of Cheetos. So when you have three times the amount of students that come in, you have three times the mess. But Fridays at three o'clock, we are out there and we are cleaning, we are, we are vacuuming. We bought vacuum cleaners for our department. And they will put trash in the weirdest places. <laughs> I just did not understand. I don't understand why they do that. But, but you know, it's fine. But they, we will find things in nooks and crannies. and They eat a lot of Cheetos. Yeah. They put <laughs> trash in the wildest spots. Part three, learning to heal. August 2020 will mark three years since Hurricane Harvey hit, and a little over a year after the Learning Commons opened. It took an incredible amount of work to turn a tragedy into an opportunity, destruction into something new. But it was tough for everybody, faculty, staff, students, and the entire Kingwood community. Hundreds of homes and businesses in Kingwood flooded because of Harvey. Jennifer mentioned several times that restaurants and other businesses around campus still haven't reopened. Although none of the women's homes flooded, they all know someone who did, a colleague, a neighbor, a family member. There is, there is also the idea that 
not only did we have to rebuild our workspace, we're talking about a lot of people on this campus having to rebuild homes, uh, gather family together. Um, my my own self was uh, I had to deal with my son who also flooded in Harvey. We were also not only crowded on the campus, we had to take in family members who were also flooded. Everyone deals with the trauma of a natural disaster differently. The rain that the Houston area received in the past couple of years since Harvey certainly hasn't helped. We, we call it the May storms because it wasn't even a named one. And there was again, more flooding as a result of Harvey because Harvey left so much uh, <coughs> dirt and debris in our, in our uh, drainage system that wow. places that never flooded are flooding, including um, I flooded this time around too. And my wow. daughter, uh, you know, just down the street, she flooded. Homes that never flooded, not even during Harvey, are flooding because of Harvey. It's a leftover Harvey. And then we just had a Melda saying yeah. it all over again. Yeah. yeah. Our first round of calls with the Kingwood women was in September 2019, a few months after serious rainstorms in May, and right before Tropical Storm Imelda hit. In the next round of calls, I remember feeling awkward asking questions about one natural disaster while they were in the midst of dealing with another. One of the things that uh, Jennifer can, can particularly uh, talk about is the, basically the post-traumatic stress disorder now that we're having every time it rains because we're, we're afraid of Harvey coming back. And we've also had, um, fortunately, the campus has survived the last couple of storms that hit, but not everybody was so lucky. Uh, a lot of flooding still going on in Houston. Yeah, we saw that a couple of days or the day after we had our first call that there was a huge, uh, another rainstorm that, that caused flooding there. So we were Yeah, a uh, tropical it. storm Imelda. Ian talks of the toll Harvey took on the staff and community. Each person affected adjusts their life in some way due to the storm. Ann now packs an emergency kit at her desk in case she's stuck spending the night on campus something that actually happened to her last May during the intense rainstorms. Here's what Ann wrote. On May 7, I was stuck spending night at Kingwin College because I couldn't get into the neighborhood due to floods. Many employees and students spent the night. Harvey PTSD. Flooding believed to be due to Harvey debris stuck in the drains as well as over 10 inches of rain in a short span of time. End quote. The library building was one of the worst affected from Harvey on the Kingwood campus. Many staff who had personal items in their offices never got them back. Any artwork or photos that weren't framed, even if they were above the water line, were never returned, most likely due to sitting for days in a building with black water. Mika's glass-blown balls, gifted by her friends in Canada, were never recovered. Though, that loss has a happier ending. I think after our, our one of our recordings and we did talk about our offices. Jennifer went out and got me um, a glass ball. So I have that hanging in my office. Um, but very little artwork I brought back. Um, the week after spring break, we were allowed to go back in to pick up whatever we needed to be able to work from home. And I loaded up <laughs> pretty much most of my office and brought it back with me. So a lot of my personal stuff came back with me, including the glass ball because I didn't want to lose that. But even though some things, 
Pencils, books, glass decorations from friends can be replaced. Not everything can. Jennifer never got anything back from her office. The personal photos, certificates, prize, times, magazine copy, it's all gone. You don't know what you keep in your office. I mean, really take a look around at what you have in your office. And you don't realize everything that is you that is in your office until it's all gone. And for that, that has changed me forever. In my office right now, even though it's brand new and we sit up higher, I do not keep, I will not keep anything personal in here. Won't do it, no pictures. That's from one of our first few interviews in September, 2019. Jennifer vowed to never keep anything personal in her office. But after a few more months in the space, she couldn't help growing attached. Here's what she said about her office in April, 2020. And I bought something, I bought some pieces that were on sale. I was determined I'm not spending any money. I'm not putting any personal um, worth on any of this stuff. If it goes down with the ship, it goes down with the ship. But then the space just kind of takes you over and it makes you love it so much that you want to feel that personal feel, at least in my office I do. And so um, I did end up putting two original prints back up of my of my um, favorite artists, and and I, I liked my space when after I did it even more. So I had to. Yeah. Part four, moving forward. When Ian, Allison, Jennifer, and Mika were planning the library's rebuild, modern and longevity were two main ideas in mind. Since the original space hadn't received more than a cosmetic upgrade in 35 years, they wanted to make something that could last another 35 without feeling outdated. They wanted to create a space that would sustain technological and learning style evolutions. I mean, we wanted a space that was visually appealing Stimulating, but not overly stimulating. Calming, but not so much where they'll go to sleep. I mean, we really, we really wanted this space to be something that we were proud of as a team. We did our research. We really, really did. I'm, I'm really proud of our group. In the spring of 2020, we were coming up on the Learning Commons one-year anniversary. But it was bittersweet. For half of March and all of April and May, Anne, Allison, Jennifer, and Mika weren't allowed in their space because of the pandemic. After spending months researching, designing, and waiting for their remodel, they couldn't even get a full year in it. Even till, I, for me, I don't even know if I can reflect on how the year has been because we didn't really get a full year, or we haven't yet. We don't know if we're going to go back to our space by June. So again, we've, we've been robbed, but I miss going to work. I'm probably going to get teary-eyed again. Oh my gosh, here we go. I miss seeing my people and I miss the energy that the students bring and on. And I, I am a people person and I miss the interaction. I really, I'm, that's all I guess I have to say. I miss my space. But the other thing, like Jennifer uh, said, is we had geared our new library to be very social, very much group interaction. So this has actually thrown us for loop uh, with the COVID uh, pandemic because now we're talking about social distancing in a library that we set up to be more group space oriented. Um, that being said, our furniture does move. 
Thank you, thank you, Jennifer, for considering our moving furniture. We can move the furniture around to, to maybe create more space, but I just don't see us opening for that reason. But there were positives to be taken away too. I, I like how things have evolved. Uh, I like to be constantly challenged with new, learning new things. And so learning the scanner, learning printing and helping the students more with computer questions. Uh, I've also now been tasked with um, class tours of our space, which I was supposed to take over in the fall, so I <laughs> don't know if that's going to happen. Um, but I helped with the tours this past spring, and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed uh, giving the information to the students on how they can use the library resources and what's available in the Learning Center. Um, so I, I've liked the new, new challenge that our space has presented to us. Mika agreed. The new challenges and role that the Learning Commons plays on campus makes the work more rewarding. We're seen in a different light in, on our campus now. Um, I think people, students, and our, our employee and colleagues feel a little bit more comfortable maybe approaching us and kind of thinking of us as people we can collaborate with. So we make these small waves in different areas on our campus, and it's really kind of exciting to see the opportunities come about. These four women put everything on the line for their community. They transitioned students and faculty to online learning, worked across library branches, counted every piece of lost inventory, tediously removed catalog items, worked in mobile computer labs or other tiny, unglamorous spaces. They lost their own personal, intimate items. They scoured conferences and college libraries around Texas for inspiration. They waited 22 months before finally getting their space back. They worked really, really damn hard. And they accomplished all of this work while dealing professionally with the loss of their library and personally with the trauma of enduring a natural disaster. The added layer of loss and hardship was tucked beneath everything they did. But that hard work paved the way for a new mindset. I think what it boils down to is this entire process over the last year, right, ladies, is that not to be afraid to ask for something because all they can say is no. So it's that sometimes asking is the biggest hurdle because people don't want to put themselves out there. They don't want to seem like they're a burden. They don't know if they have the money. They don't know all these reasons of why not to ask. But I think through this entire year's process, it was well, why not? And what's it going to hurt? And all they can say is no. Allison told us that when she, Jennifer, and Mika visited TLA two years ago, they stopped by the Dallas Public Library. DPL had a seed library, basically a cabinet where patrons could take a seed and leave a seed. Back at Kingwood, Allison wrote a grant to get funding for their own seed library. She talked with an environmental science professor to discuss sustainable food. She coordinated with the art department so they could paint the cabinet two arms clasped with sprouts shooting up. 
though currently on hold because of the pandemic, this project demonstrates the staff's willingness to take initiative and to collaborate with the campus. They firmly found their footing in their community. When we got the email about from you all about um, having these podcasts, you know, I had this thought, well, would our situation be interesting to others? And so I was asking Jennifer and Mika and Anne and the others, and um, they're like, well, go ahead and submit it and let's see. And lo and behold, here we are. Something Mika said toward the end of our very first call has stuck with me. She said, The library, Future Learning Commons, needs to be the heart of the campus. The context was the support she and the rest of the library staff received from the administration in planning their new space. But I think it encompasses these four women's library mission. They will provide services to those in their community. They will adjust and grow to fit changing needs. They will support the patrons they serve no matter what even through rain, shine, or hurricane. Patron Driven is a Choice podcast. Choice is a publishing unit of the Association of College and Research Libraries, a division of the American Library Association. This series is crowdsourced. If you have a library story that you think deserves the spotlight, go to choice360.org to find my and Bill's emails to send us yours. A huge thanks to Anne McGittigan, Allison Huffy, Jennifer Martinez, and Mika Mitchell Without their help, we never would have heard this story or been able to make this podcast. Their time and dedication to telling us everything that they told us is greatly appreciated. A special shout out and thanks to the Lone Star College system, especially the Kingwood campus. This episode was written and audio engineered by Sabrina Kofer. Bill and I provided developmental edits. 